0: This is Brian Phipps, and you're listening to Pro Lacrosse Talk.
1: Right off the bat, there's Lyle Thompson. Junior, Kylie Omiller showing off those shifty skills. Driver driving far down the alley, and he scores. Out. What a goal from Josh Bird. Kayla Trainer yeah. fires to score. Are you Are kidding, kidding me. By Dylan Warren. Gets topside. side Oh, scores. Welcome to Pro Lacrosse Talk on the Lacrosse Playground Podcast Network, your go to podcast for interviews with professional players, coaches, and executives, as well as the latest news and analysis from all three professional lacrosse leagues. Now, here's your host, Hutton Jackson
2: what's up pro lacrosse fans welcome to another edition of pro lacrosse talk i'm your host hutton jackson today joined with contributor brian andrews i will be joined by adam moore a little bit later with our interview with brian phipps Uh, but we are fresh off going to philly seeing two games two semifinal games for the pll it was nice seeing you brian in person seeing some members of the lpg team in person meeting some lacrosse twitter personalities i had never met before but uh brian how's it going this fine friday
3: it's going well uh it was fun Uh, Saturday in Philly that was my first time ever actually in uh, the Union Stadium so it was cool to like experience that for the first time it was cool to see you again after so long and meet a bunch of other guys particularly Adam who I'd never met before and um, disappointed about the results but uh, hey at least the Cowboys lost last night so
2: (laughs) (laughs) awesome. absolutely your Atlas ended up not advancing but at least the Cowboys lost I think we can all be happy for that Um, I don't have a dog in the fight but never been a Cowboys fan um, wife's a Philly fan. So gotta, gotta, you know, go where the home allegiances are, but yeah, it was great seeing everyone there. We saw a lot of people, like I said, that, um, both members of the LPG team, which was nice to see you. Once again, it was nice to see Doug Greenberg in person, who I had never met in person. Saw Dan Newbert again. Saw Matt Linsky again. Um, so yeah, quite a, quite a few people that were able to attend as well as, you know, some other lacrosse Twitter personalities that I had never met either. So it was great, great time. I had not been to a live sporting event since, I saw the Capitals play the Devils back in February 2020. So that was my first live sporting event that I actually got to attend and watch. So that was very nice. Um, You know, finally got to go there. I was not able to get to Baltimore this year. So happy to get to Philly. Going to be at D.C. next week as well. So excited for that. But uh, we're going to get into these games a little bit. I know we both have some strong opinions about how these games turned out. But going to get to some news and notes first. Um, biggest one probably is that Graham re resigns with the Halifax Thunderbirds, signs a massive five year deal with them. So he's going to be a Thunderbird for the foreseeable future. Three time reigning NLL Defender of the Year, could be PLL Defender of the Year as well, which we'll get into our awards coming up at the end of this episode. Um, Zach Greer, another person that signed with the Seals, resigns a one year deal with them. Uh, Mark Lassini also resigns with the Seals. Uh, happy to see Greer back, particularly though, because he is at the tail end of his career. Um, but he's had a lot of production, even at the end of his career with the Seals. Obviously, his brother is an assistant coach there as well. So Seals are going to be pretty good now, I think, with Dane Dobie. Um, and speaking of Dane Doby, the former captain of the Calgary Roughnecks, who signed with the Seals this offseason, let's go into this Roughnecks unveiling. They unveil new uniforms and more importantly, probably their WestJet sponsorship. So they have a sponsorship now with WestJet, which is one of the top two airlines in Canada. So that's a big deal for the NLL um, sphere. The fact that uh, a team has signed with an airline provider, um, that's that's pretty huge. It hasn't been done in the NLL yet, um, and I'm sure it's going to be not only cut down on travel costs, but provide some added exposure to the team and to the league. Now, where it gets a little bit more interesting is they decide to ditch the red in their jersey and opt for a black, silver, and white color scheme, so losing kind of all the color. and uh, They were met with a little bit of backlash. They're one of the older franchises in the league. They're the reigning champs as of 2019. Um, And they had pretty iconic red jerseys. So I personally wasn't a fan, but give me your thoughts, Brian, on these new uniforms.
3: Uh, I was surprised too, because, you know, the joke was that everyone thought they accidentally uploaded like grayscale images. (laughs) Uh, But I just, I was confused. They just looked bland. I didn't know about the WestJet sponsorship or like the turf thing when Mm -hmm. I saw the deal. Uh, And uh, Dan Lomas, actually, we're going to be positive now because Mm I'm going to. I'm going to be negative when we talk about the PLL probably um, Dan Lomas brought up a great point uh, just to be positive about the sponsorship. Cause it means a lot of positive things, particularly for the players, uh, their ability to like live off of the sport uh, extends the season to make the, my former point more feasible and stuff. So there's a lot of good to come out of this. And I think they could have thought maybe a little bit harder about the jerseys and how to make them work with, with it's blue. Right yeah it's game.
2: like a teal tealish blue yeah, yeah um so the West blue
3: situation going on up there but they could have probably thought a little bit more how to make this work mm-hmm. better than black and gray
2: i i agree my my thing is too like you know if you're losing uh your primary color maybe opt for a teal now i don't think i again think the roughnecks classic red is um classic for a reason they've won four championships in those jerseys so I don't see like, I'm, I'm very against changing that at, at all, but uh at least throw some color in there. I mean, obviously teal is in the PLT logo. We love that color. I think the turf looks awesome, but I just don't see why you couldn't have made it work still. And again, the WestJet sponsorship is huge. It's, it's a great sponsorship. Like, you know, I, I don't want to downplay how big that was. I just don't see the connection where you have to change your uniforms because of the sponsorship. Even if they had a teal turf, you could still have put, um, you know, the same logo on there and had that red there. Uh, I know I saw somebody um, tweet out that, you know, maybe they don't want to have red because that's conflicting sponsored, you know, with Air Canada that has red in their logo, which I can also understand. But at the end of the day, it's like to go through this massive rebrand of uniforms, um, you know, just because of a, a sponsorship just feels like I don't, I don't get the connection there. You know, you see a lot of NBA teams, they they'll adopt Jersey sponsors and sometimes they'll have the logos in color on their uniforms and they'll kind of look off, um, but they do it anyway. Other times they have the actual logos downplayed. So like, you know, it's fine if you want to have West colors on there, but usually it's the opposite. Usually you just have West logo and maybe it will match the color scheme. Now, again, I understand what the air Canada conflict there, why they probably wouldn't want to do that. I just don't, I don't see the connection here. I, I feel like someone was like, well, we can't really put, his big red logo on this teal and blue turf. So let's just, you know, lose the red in our uniforms. And I feel like that was like the thought process. I, I don't know. It just didn't seem like there was that much thought going into it. Um, and that just, you know, again, another branding decision for me in the past couple of years that just, I, I haven't loved from the pro lacrosse <laughs> space um, in both the PLO and NLL. I think there's some teams that really nailed their branding right off the bat, uh, whether it be a rebrand, whether it be a new team altogether, Um, and then some other teams I thought were, you know, kind of meh at first, but it kind of grown on me. So, um, and then there's some other teams too that. I just, I've hated the branding. So I will will listen to my mom's advice. And if I don't have something nice to say, I won't say it. I will avoid the teams that I don't like. And you can kind of use process of elimination to figure out which ones I haven't liked, but let's be positive here. And I'll go with the the teams that I think really nailed their rebrand efforts or branding efforts coming into the league, Halifax Thunderbirds, I think hands down, although I love the Rochester Nighthawks, the old Rochester Nighthawks colors. I wish there was a team with those. I wish they had not gone away from those because I think the teal and purple is just classic. Obviously they won three championships in a row in those uniforms. They've won, you know, they had a lot of history in the Rochester area. And then when they moved to Halifax, they decided to adopt the new branding, which I'm completely on board with. And I think they nailed their new branding despite really missing the old Rochester Nighthawks color scheme. Um, I think the logo is clean. I think the purple and orange is unique. Um, So overall, they're they're one of the teams that I thought nailed it. New York Riptide are another one that came into the league uh, around the same time. And I love that they adopted the Islanders colors, essentially, because that's where they play. But also they adopted more of the retro 90s Islanders colors with the teal in there. I think that was another great thing. The name's great. Um, So those are two teams that I think nailed the names, the look, really everything. Um, And I, I think another, you know, this is kind of moving from leagues to league, but the MLL was another league that I thought did a really good job with their branding, both from logo standpoint, color scheme standpoint, um, you know, city association, obviously, you know, the PLL doesn't have city association, but you know, overall, I thought the MLL despite many of its shortcomings really nailed a lot of the MLL logos and branding. I never really thought they missed too much, maybe a little bit towards the end, you know, when they changed the Rochester Rathers colors a little bit, I didn't, I don't know why they ever went away from that, that gold that I thought was pretty cool. Um, hammerheads left a lot to be desired. Cool color scheme, but name and logo probably wasn't great, but I don't know. What are some of your favorite, you know, rebranding efforts from the past couple of years um, or, you know, new teams coming in the league?
3: Uh, One that I think is like a tried and true. And I think when it came back in uh, 2020 or 2019, I don't remember which Mm. year it came back um, is the barrage branding.
4: Mm, I just always thought
3: Barrage was like a creative name that was specific to the sport. But like it didn't need some cartoony logo with like a lacrosse stick in it, like they just yes. like it's it was good out. The color scheme was good. Uh, their uniforms in the in the bubble were awesome. I love I love them. They looked cla- They had the classic look still, mm-hmm. but they were they were clearly updated. I thought their helmets were phenomenal. So that's one that's always stuck with me. Obviously, like I grew up with that team too.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: So definitely some bias there, but I just think in particular that's a even from just a name branding perspective and a logo, it differentiates itself from other sports without being too corny, like having a dog chop on like a lacrosse stick, or mm-hmm. you know having the classic lacrosse stick, you know X. yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that that's one that always stuck out to me. Um, one thing that I forgot about was the original Chrome uniforms and particularly the helm- helmets. Mm-hmm. I, always, I, I, I thought I thought that year was great. I, this year with the white with the with the faded like teal, whatever color that, that was, those are phenomenal. But I forgot how much I liked the 2019 chrome uniforms because they kind of went away from them in 2020 and this year. And uh, I thought that was a success. Even even like from a logo perspective, I thought it was, it was different and it worked. And I thought the color scene was creative.
2: Yeah, I thought they, you know, I thought they really did a good job too. And, I, you know, I feel like they've tried to change it up each year. Um, I would have liked them, you know, kind of stick with it. I actually like the 2020 the best. They have like the chain mail look. Whereas I, I think the 2019 were a little too busy. Maybe they kind of simplified it for, uh, you know, 2020. And then they kind of went a little bit busy again with 2021, but it's almost like you're, they're still, I think, some of the best uniforms in the league. So um, even though I prefer the 2020 to 2019, 2021 iteration, like those are still all like top three jerseys in my mind. Um, and yeah, going off of the, the PLL, I think the PLL has done a really good job with color scheme, um, and I, I don't, I think the logos are, are pretty good too. I really wasn't a fan of the names and kudos to them. A lot of the names have grown on me. There's still a few that are like, you know, kind of generic or weird to me, but um, overall, when the first original six came out, I was like, uh, okay, I don't know if I can get behind this. Like whip snakes is weird. Chrome is weird. Like Atlas doesn't make sense to me, but uh, you know, those three teams I think have the best uniforms in in the league. Uh, I love the whip snakes red and teal I think it works really really well and you know going back to Calgary someone was saying that the red on teal wouldn't have looked good well you have the whip snakes it, it looks fine there so um I love I the chrome uniform about like what is teal and whether it's not I don't know if yeah or is that orange or red yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, I you guys can look it up on lacrosse the fitter there's a thread I don't want to I don't want to harp on the the roughnecks too much but uh the atlas I think too the best I mean the, the purple and uh sky blue as well as, like, the Atlas, like, uh, pattern on their jerseys. I, I think the, the PLL did a really good job, and I think that's the coolest thing about the, these PLL, PLL jerseys is the patterns on the jerseys. Some of them are a little too much. Some of them they're trying too do hard, I think, like with the Cannons. Like, just keep it simple. You, you don't need to have everything on there, um, you know, with the smoke at the bottom. But, like, the Whip Snakes Snake Skin is cool. The Chromes are cool. Atlas are cool, you know. And, and I think they've really grown on me. And the Archers, I think, were the team that, right off the bat, I love their colors logo and name i thought that i still think they're one of the the best in uh you know pro field lacrosse um you just from a branding perspective and the name made sense to me and it fit well um and obviously you've seen a lot of these teams actually you know lean into their name a little bit more too like the chaos um so you know i i think overall the pll team names were a little meh for me to start but they've grown on me they're definitely different from the mlo and i still maybe prefer the mlo names but we might be seeing some come back we saw the cannons come back it'll be nice to see maybe the bayhawks uh, maybe see the outlaws lizards would be good lizards is probably on the sillier side of the mll names even though i still like their branding a lot too but you know those are some some teams that i've liked um that are, have kind of grown on me that i maybe didn't like at first uh again the same too in the nll side i think the rochester nighthawks their lo- new logo and look is great um i would have again preferred the teal and purple but there's probably you know ways they couldn't have gone with that colors look because probably that halifax probably still owns um, you know, that color scheme, those old logos. I don't know really what the situation is with that. Um, again, it's a crime that we don't have those jerseys still. But I think what the Rochester Nighthawks did was pretty, pretty smart because there really wasn't a team with that Army green. There really wasn't a team, I don't think, with green at all at the time, um, really prevalent in their jerseys. So they went back, they went to that, and uh, I thought it, it worked out really, really well. Um, and their logo is simple. You know, it's an R with the wing. It kind of pays homage to the old Nighthawks logo without, you know, being a direct rip off of it. So, um, I like that. I don't know if you have an opinion on your your Philadelphia Wings. I thought their old logo was perfect. I still wish they would just go back to that, um, but they've kind of grown on me. The color scheme, the wings on the jerseys, I think are cool. Um, I still don't like the you know main W logo, but I don't know what your opinion on your your Philadelphia Wings. The, the old logo is, of course, a classic. Mm-hmm. The new the new version of it
3: reminds me of like the joke everyone made about like the Google Workspace rebranding where everything became mm-hmm. like square. Like they just, mm. minimo- they just did a minimalist version of a W with wings colors. And they kind of tried to, it just, it, it's, it's not as good. I can, I still like it though.
2: Yeah. It's and not I
3: bad. It's, color scheme, it's color
2: is still one of my favorites. Yeah. I, I I do like the gold added in there. Like, you know, I think the red white and black was classic and I didn't think that you really needed an accent color, but now like seeing it on those jerseys, I, I think it looks really cool. Um, and again, I, I always love the wings on the jerseys. Um, I know some people think it's tacky, but I personally like it. I've been pushing for the Ravens to add it to their jerseys, you know, like for a while now, because I think the Ravens jerseys are bland. I feel like if you have a team that, leans in really, really well with something like that, like wings, like you got the Atlas that have the horns on their, their helmets. Like, that's great. Like, I, I love that. The archers have the arrows. Like I love when you can kind of, you know, pull a Minnesota Vikings or a LA Rams and do something cool with your helmets or your uniforms. And uh, I think the wings do a good job with that, with the wings. San Diego Seals are another one too, that at first I was like, okay, I'm not too crazy about the purple and gold, but it's unique. And I, I like, you know, where they're going with it. Um, and it's kind of grown on me since then. Um, now, if I didn't mention your team, that's probably because you're in the, the rebrand new team doghouse for me. So we won't mention your name. Um, but there's been some recent rebrands or new branding that I just haven't been a fan of. Um, you know, and yeah, you know, again, maybe they'll grow on me cause they're pretty recent, but, um, you know, again, I just feel like we, we, we gotta keep it simple here. We're making some questionable decisions in the pro lacrosse sphere, but, we got a lot of PLL games to get into We don't want to spend this all on lacrosse branding. So let's go into these PLL games. We were both in person. We'll start off with your Atlas against the chaos. Another game where the chaos went in as underdogs and they kind of, uh, you know, proved everyone wrong again. Um, you know, we, we saw them going on about the 13% the first week they might've, I think even been less uh, of a percentage of people that voted for them this week. Um, and they come out and they come out firing, but uh, what are your thoughts on this Atlas chaos game and how it got started?
3: I think we're living in the worst timeline and <laughs>
2: the, the general outcome
3: is bad. I'll maybe I'll talk about that when we're done with like the next game. Dr.
2: Strange needs to fix the timeline is what you're saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh,
3: but I just thought that the Atlas felt flat the whole game. Uh, positive first. We've had that attitude all show. Oh, <laughs> I think is is. uh, Him and Baptiste are the only people that really showed up, but I thought more visibly so Carlo Russo. He was standing on his head a lot. He made some really crazy saves, um, but a lot of it was overshadowed by the fact that the cast might get a rebound and then score immediately after, or they might get like three shots in a row somehow. And, you know, he would stand on his head or maybe the Atlas would get a ground ball, but their offense felt like really stagnant. They never felt like they made blaze make any dramatic movements and you could tell he like from release to his stick he was seeing every single shot with the exception of of like a few really good ones uh like the like the t goal like super late too way too late
2: yeah
5: uh
3: and the costabile too obviously
2: that was yeah like, that one's tough i mean he got shielded i feel like on that one and costabile brings the heat <laughs> that was absolutely insane to see
3: live that like if you blinked you missed the entire play it was mm-hmm. so other but other than that there weren't like many highlights to talk about from the atlas perspective i thought the chaos game plan was interesting but especially on the defensive end but i didn't feel like they did anything particularly crazy on offense and as i was watching i felt like every time we we all know the chaos are going to pick
2: mm-hmm,
3: yeah we all know that they're going to set picks and I was watching, in particular, Rex Road. He would be playing on ball. And this would be – his head would just be, like, swiveling side to side the entire time. And he was, like, super hesitant to, like, try to stay on ball. And I'm not sure, like, what went into that because every time he got a pick set on him, he was either hesitating and went for contact in with the pick, and they weren't jamming the pick out. Mm-hmm. Or um, he went to try to get under it, under the pick, but that, that was giving the offensive player too much room. Yeah. I feel like there may have been like a game plan mishap where they didn't like talk enough about what they were going to do from picks or their communication was just really bad that day on defense, because it seemed, it seemed like the pick was like the, the ultimate weapon of lacrosse, even though we see it every game.
2: Yeah. And that's what, you know, what the chaos do, that's their bread and butter. Um, And yeah, I, I think too, like I, you know, coach Rubio even said that they weren't prepared for this defense that the Atlas th- or for this defense that the cast threw at them. Um, and the Chaos ended up pulling all their midfielders, um, pulling teat still as well and leaving Carraway and law with short stick matchups, which Eric law and Caraway both tried to, to expose them for, and it actually didn't work. You know, like the Chaos did a good job. Like it, it, they played into their hand. You know, Eric law had a couple goals and he actually moved into second all time in pro field history uh, with his 31st season postseason point. Um, so he is, you know, the king of the postseason, as we like to say. Um, but yeah, I, I think their game plan worked really well. And Coach Ruber mentioned, you know, going in the half that they weren't ready for it. Now the Atlas turned it on towards the end of the half, and it looked like they were getting all the momentum back. And that's what we've seen from the Atlas. Like even in their slow starts, like they can turn it on at any moment. They got Trevor Baptiste to win those possessions. And Baptiste did really, really well, winning 61% of the face-offs. So you know, Baptiste was doing his job, but I think the Atlas just played into this defense's hand and they were getting only like one low quality shot off each possession, it seemed like, because the Chaos were like, go ahead, play slow. You know, like it was funny because the Chaos were perfectly content moving in transition and going down the field and scoring quickly. But when they got into defense, they were like, yeah, go ahead, take your time. We know Blaze is going to make a big save and then we're going to go force in transition. That's kind of what the Chaos did all day. They did it earlier in the game. You know, to start, you saw Troy Ray hit a two bomb early. Um, you know, even Josh Burns' first goal was, you know, kind of unsettled. Um, and that's kind of what the chaos do is they just uh, again, they're chaotic, they thrive on chaos. And there's a lot of times where the Atlas stopped them on offense, actually, and chaos were scrappy on the ground balls and got a goal, you know, unsettled. So I, I think, you know, credit to the chaos, they kind of wanted it more. I feel like early in this game, again, I thought the Atlas came on stronger midway through the game. And then, it, you know, towards the end, they kind of fell into what the archers fell into, where they're like, okay, how are we losing to this team? Like, Someone's got to, you know, step up. Someone's got to score, and we gotta, we gotta win this game. And unfortunately, like they ended up reverting the hero ball a lot towards the end. I felt like, um, you know, you had Jeff T had a super nice goal at the end to kind of um, pull them within, but it ended up being a little too late um, at the end. And then Cloutier ended up having icing the game that put the game over. So sorry, under betters on that regard. Um, but yeah, overall, I thought they were just uncharacteristically sloppy. They didn't back up the th- shots three different times. One late in the fourth, which really hurt them and that was because eric law was you know cutting to the the crease and i forget who ended up taking the shot but you know just overall it just didn't seem like they were all on the same page and they panicked a little bit you know and for a young team you know maybe we should have expected to be a little bit less of uh less of composure i don't know i, I think this atlas team despite being young has played with a lot of composure throughout the season so that's why i was very surprised but uh yeah definitely disappointing for them so let's hear from uh, coach rubier after the loss and
4: hear what he had to say about his team I'm proud of the way in which they played this year. I think if you look at the body of work that we put in, I thought it was pretty darn good. I thought the Chaos team played fantastic today. I I, I don't think we played our best game, and I don't necessarily think we had our best game plan. It's disappointing at the end because you build for the end. Um, but a lot of credit to those guys. I am proud of our guys. I hope that we can take the disappointment and the pain that is losing in the semifinals and turn it into the motivation and the fuel to continue to get better because it's a, it's a young group. Uh, I think they do have some talent. I think more so than anything, though, in this league, mentality really plays into it. So anyway, we got to continue to... Be hungry and work and get better. And that doesn't change, but I am proud of the body of work that they put together this season.
2: Yeah. So you heard from Coach Rubrior. So he's up for head coach of the year. And personally, he has my vote. We'll get to our awards a little bit later. Um, I think what he's been able to do with the Satla's team was huge. You know, we never really think there's rebuilds in pro field lacrosse because there are so few teams. It's, you know, hard to really just punt on the season and he didn't really do that. And, uh, but a lot of people, you know, going into the season expected the Atlas to be very low and to kind of be rebuilding. And they proved that, you know, there are no rebuilds. Um, you know, they rebooted, they, they completely changed the makeup of this team and it it worked out for them. So even though they, they lost in the semifinal matchup, a very, uh, great season for them. And another player I want to give some love to is Brian Costabile. I think he's my second favorite midfielder only behind Tom Schreiber. Um, you know, I can't put him above Tom just yet, but his style is so fun to watch. You mentioned that two point goal that he shot, um, he also does a lot, you know, between the numbers too. On defense, um, he's just an all-around great two-way mini. But um, overall, I mean, he has my vote for midfield of the year. I just think he's been so much fun to watch. And uh, and overall, he's a guy that I think is the part of the nucleus of this team. You know, we talk about Eric Law, Tucker Durkin, Trevor Baptiste, you know, some older guys on the team that are are their captains or veterans. But, you know, Brian Costabile plays like a veteran. He's just the, – the way he goes out there and competes every – game uh, i just gotta give some love to him i know he's one of your favorite players as well brian
3: yeah and even you even saw that in like 2020 when the atlas were basically in enchantment mm-hmm. the entire time yep. he was like a, a bright spot to watch play and i think the thing that i enjoy the most about watching him play is just that he his willingness to just go out there and scrap i'm very excited mm-hmm. to watch him play for the wings because i think he's going to be well suited for it mm-hmm. so there's just something different in field across because we've all gotten so used to like, oh, well, they're transitioning to defense, so these guys are going to get off the field now. And I know that happens in box too, but it, it, particularly in field, it's so crucial to have someone that when they're on, when they get caught on the defensive end of the field, Ryan Boyle's not in the box saying, oh, they got this guy trapped on defense because mm-hmm. he's not going to say that about Cost The guy just mm-hmm. goes out and scraps and then he can just find awesome shots and make them go against anyone. Yeah. So it's just like a it's, – it's refreshing almost to see a less specialized midfielder in professional lacrosse. And then
4: I'm, not, I'm not
3: on the side of, like, we need less specialization in lacrosse. I played long stick midi basically my whole life. I'm the most specialized person that you could ever be. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's just refreshing to watch someone go out there and perform well and just want to scrap. It's just fun to watch.
2: No, I agree. And, uh, I think that's, you know, it makes the game better. I think that's, what's great about the PLL too, is it kind of is bringing back the two way midfielder a little bit because of the smaller roster sizes, because of the shorter field. Um, you know, you're these players like Brian Costabile are thriving in this league. And I think it's a, a better brand of lacrosse. I still stand by that, you know, pro field lacrosse is the best version of lacrosse, no disservice to the college game, but it's just faster paced, you know, the scoring, I love the two point arc, um, just adds another layer to it. So yeah, definitely a lot of kudos to Brian Costabile and, uh, And overall, the PLL rule set. Uh, But another Costabile stepped it up in this game for the Chaos. And he wasn't even on a roster after the entry draft. Uh, He got picked up by the Chrome, went to training camp, ended up getting released, and then got picked up by the Chaos midway through the season. But CJ Costabile had one heck of a game. He had three goals. Uh, One was uh, off a two-point goal. Um, He had one regular goal that was very reminiscent of when he was playing at Duke and won the national championship for them against Notre Dame streaking down the field he didn't win a face-off but streaking down the field and scoring you know we've seen that before but uh kudos to him like he had a few calls turnovers as well he played really really well um you know prototypical i feel like chaos lsm him and troy ray were all over the field in that game and uh you know he he was pushing in transition and we should have expected that he's the 2020 ml lsm of the year he's been in you know the MLL for so long and had thrived um, so I was really surprised when he didn't get drafted in the entry draft, um, and was really glad to see him not only get a shot in training camp, but eventually get picked up on the chaos and have a larger role, but, uh, kudos to him. And, you know, he, he helped this chaos team, you know, propel them to another, uh, championship appearance. So, um, yeah, I, I think the Costa were we're putting on a show for us uh, in Philly. But, um, you know, going off of that, the cast now are going to back-to-back championships. They obviously lost to the Whip Snakes last season, trying to, you know, avenge that loss this year. But let's hear from Coach Andy Towers just about the pacing of the game to start um, and what he saw from his team.
1: You know, we're riding the strength of uh, our defensive coordinator, Ryan Curtis. He does an unbelievable job of breaking down the opponents that we face in this league. And everybody has their respective strengths. And he's a master at identifying what those respective strengths are and 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 creating a plan to challenge them and that's sort of sports in general you know if you force your opponent to beat you in ways that they aren't traditionally used to uh, you know you've done your job and if they make the adjustments on the fly and they manage your game plan and are able to be successful you know you take your hat off and you shake your hand and you know it is what it is and 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 uh, you know Ryan Curtis does a does a phenomenal job of that, and we've got an unbelievably tight, close knit locker room, uh, and and these guys are believers in each other, and they are soldiers to each other's success. You throw in the success that Max Hadler's had in the second half of the season, and marry that up with the best player in the world in Blaze Reardon in the goal, and we're a defense that. Um, you know, is tough to beat. And certainly we were tough to beat in the second half today. And we were tough to beat in the first quarter. But credit them for making the run that they made in the second quarter. And uh, and we got one more game where we got to play our best to win it.
2: All right, so you heard from Andy Towers. As I mentioned, we have a rematch between the Chaos and the Whipsnakes. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But let's go into the whipsnakes Dogs matchup that we both got to see in person. Um, talk about this matchup. I actually thought this was, even though the scoreboard uh, at the end of the day, maybe didn't show it was as close as it may have felt. I, I felt like this was a, a real battle of a game. I felt like it was a lot closer. I think the Whipsnakes got some, I don't want to say lucky breaks, but were able to make some plays where the Water Dogs maybe got a little bit unlucky. Um, overall, I didn't think the Water Dogs played bad. But what did you see from this game and uh, the, this Whipsnakes win that sent them to their third straight championship? It's funny. I feel kind of the exact opposite,
3: where maybe, maybe it was just because I felt defeated from the first game already. <laughs> But I, I largely felt similar during this whole game between the dogs and the snakes as I did in the second half of the Atlas versus the Chaos, because I felt like the Atlas just couldn't do anything in the second half. Mm-hmm. The Chaos were getting all the lucky breaks. And I kind of felt that way like all the way through this game. There were times where the dogs would break through a little bit, but mm-hmm. it felt like the whips would just kind of it kind of got out of head. And it's like okay fine and then the dogs would like catch up a little bit but then the whips would extend that lead again and then it was it was like a constant game of catch up and mm-hmm. i never really felt uh i never really felt the dogs just were doing enough to fully catch up and maintain
2: it and that makes sense and and that's kind of why even though we feel like a little bit different about the game i actually think we're in agreement with most because i feel like the same way the water dogs did feel like they were playing catch up the whole time you know a lot of that i think is due because John Ardella went 59% at the the stripe, you know, and he was really winning a lot of these clamps. And obviously water dogs are great at winning the ground ball battle, even if they don't win the clamp, but that's where I feel like the water dogs can never get into a rhythm. Like they did in that first game where they beat the whip sinks because they weren't able to get a lot of consistent, you know, back-to-back possessions. Um, I thought the offense looked fine out there though. I thought they did well. Um, Definitely a little bit of complacency towards the end of the the game um, for sure. But they were still scoring goals. Kieran McCarl was playing really, really well. Ryan Brown was all over the playing. Well, Uh, Michael Sowers, it was great to see him back. So I didn't think the offense really had too many issues. I think Dylan Ward on the opposite side, maybe let in a few that he would wish he would have had back, but you know, there weren't any egregious goals that he let in. Like, you know, I think the, the, the four on six Zed goal was probably not great, but it was, you know, kind of, it's more unfortunate goals that he let in less, you know, like, what were you doing there? Um, And the Waterdogs had some unlucky breaks. I mean, if Ryan Brown hits that two-point attempt when Brian Phipps is out of the cage, that doesn't hit the pipe. Like, I don't know. This game could have been a little bit different. You know, that would have been a two-point swing. Um, they would have been only down by two at that point. And I, I think the Waterdogs played well on offense. I thought the defense, you know, re-watching this game, when I was watching it live, I was like, the defense is not playing well. Rewatching this game, I didn't think they did bad. They're very late to slide, which you can't do against the Whip Snakes, which I think. And the Whip Snakes were winning their one on one matchups. So that's another thing where it was like, you know, Dylan Ward was probably should have made a few more saves than he did, but a lot of those shots were like in close, you know. Um, I only say he should have made them because I consider him one of the top goalies. And, you know, if you're able to read the play and watch it, it's not like he had to have his head on a swivel all game, um, you know. So that's where, the, you know, the Whip Snakes were just winning their one on ones and, and scoring, you know, placing their shots well. But uh, overall, I didn't think the defense played too bad. It was just you know the Whip Snakes were opportunistic. You know when the Water Dogs caused a turnover, you'd have Jay Carlson you know get a scrappy ground ball and score a goal, or you had you know Zed when you know the shot clock's running down um, score you know a four on six goal. So overall, I just think the the Whip Snakes you know made a few more hustle plays than the Water Dogs did. But I didn't think the Water Dogs played too bad, and sometimes that's just how it is in sports. You know, like I feel like these past two games, again we pointed out a few of the Atlas. Mistakes, but um, you know, overall I didn't think they had a terrible game. You know, you look at they went 19 minutes without a goal when the Chaos went on 9-0 run, but watching that 19 minutes, like it wasn't like they were completely inept. They had opportunities. Um, Blaze made some saves. Overall, that's sometimes how it is. And I just feel like I don't say the Water Dogs got unlucky here. I just think they didn't make as much of the the hustle plays that they needed to. And at the end of the day, you know, the whip snakes came out on top. I, I feel like if we had a game, you know, if we had more games between these two teams. I feel like it would be back and forth in terms of who would come out on top, because I feel like these are both two talented teams. I wish this was our championship, um, you know, but definitely looking forward to a a Whipsnakes rematch as well uh, with the chaos. But, yeah, those are my thoughts, I feel like, on the Whipsnake Dogs team. Let's hear from Andy Copeland and his thoughts, because I asked him about the rest versus rust situation and whether, you know, he thought that had to play. Um, So let's hear what he had to say about that
1: we felt great going into the game i mean i you know i i know that that question was out there plenty i mean in our case i, I think it allowed for us to get uh sours and connor kelly uh in particular fully healthy so i really looked at it as a as a good thing i thought we had maybe our best practice of the year last night so the guys were obviously focused and energetic and ready to play and uh look that that whips team is very good i, I give coach staggs his staff uh those guys a ton of credit they uh They've been the class of the league since the since the inception of the PLL, and uh, and they're awfully tough in the playoffs.
2: So as you can hear, he, he said they had their best practice actually. Um, he did not feel like the added rest was actually an uh, you know impediment to them. Um, and I tend to probably agree too. I want to just get his opinion on that, but they didn't come out too flat in this game. You know, they they really didn't. Um, it was just back and forth, and I felt like at the end of the day, you know, the Whip Snakes had players that stepped up you know, Zed Williams dominated Eli Gobrecht, you know, Gobrecht's not a bad defender. It's tough playing up against Zed Williams and Zed just dominated that matchup. That's kind of, sometimes you have those games. So um, it's, it's tough because I I don't think the Dogs really need to do too much this off season. I don't think they need to blow it up or anything. I don't think they're really lacking anything. I think they could get a little bit bigger and stronger on the short stick defensive midi side of things. Um, You you just see the value that other teams that have strong short stick defensive midis can bring. So uh, I think that's maybe an area that they want to improve on. But overall, I, I don't think there's much that they need to change. You know, I think it was a tough loss. They just need to refocus this offseason and and stay hungry um, at the end of the day. But let's hear from the winning end. We had Coach Stagnita, so let's hear what he had to say.
5: You know, there's a lot of resilience in that locker room. This has not been an easy year um, on a lot of levels. From I mean, you wake up this morning and John Hawes – Uh, has to leave you know it's the first thing first message I get at 6 a.m. telling me he's driving home because his wife's you know his wife's in labor and that's kind of the way the whole year has been Um, but you know when when we we really um, we didn't necessarily focus on the process for a while we worried too much about the outcome it's hard to win one championship it's really difficult to win two and in order to win three you just got to get there. And you know that was our focus, so, you know, trying to remember to do the things that we needed to do to get here. And there are some bumps in the road, but I think every time you, know, you can look back now and say that every time we, we ran into one of those obstacles, we, we got better from it. And I think that's helped us in these last two weeks.
0: Coach, Brian Phipps got his first start of the year. How'd that conversation go, telling the team that he would be the starter? And what did you see from him in cage today?
5: Um, you know, it wasn't really a team conversation. Um, there's, you know, there's decisions that, that we have to make, um, but I think that the team, uh, you know, I, I don't think it was a secret that we were going to go in that direction, and you know, I, I've I've spoken about it. Um, Kyle is our future. Kyle has gotten us, you know, he has won us two championships and has saved our, you know, has saved us over and over and over again. He's just he was in a slump, and you know, we rode it as long as we could, and it didn't seem like it was going to be easy for him to come out of it. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure and he puts a lot of pressure on himself and I just think it continued to, you know, to grow and and, and it became, you know, it, it, it got to the point where, you know, he just, he couldn't do the job the way we know he could do the job. So, you know, we fortunately have Brian who is you know, I've been a professional for a long time, has played in a lot of big games, has been a coach. And that's why you have a backup, right? You have someone that hopefully can come in and, and, and help you out when you need him and make a difference. And, and he did that today. And we played good defense in front of him. Um, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to reiterate that, you know, Kyle is our future and we have a ton of confidence in him. Um, we just got to get him through this, you know, through this tough stretch.
2: So obviously he, he mentioned Kyle is the goalie of the future, um, but Brian Phipps was the goalie that they went with in this game. And he came up big, 13 saves in this one. We're going to hear our interview with him a little bit later in this episode. Um, But going into this chaos, snakes rematch of the championship, this is actually only the fourth time in pro field history where we've had a rematch in the championship. And actually all previous three times, the team that lost in the first meeting has won in the second. So we're going to see the chaos overcome and beat the snakes, or the snakes going to 3 p. What are you feeling on this game uh, heading into DC, Brian? I'm this
3: is where I start being like pessimistic and breaking the positivity rule. <laughs> we have again another instance of a team being in the championship while having a losing record. So we're not punishing regular season performance. I love rooting for an underdog just like everybody else. When you when you see it when you see like some no name school basketball team in March Madness, like you root for them. Mm -hmm. fun to watch them do well but because they had to perform abnormally well to get to where they are so it's fun to watch them continue to do that this is this is like an example of two years in a row where some where a team is like in the bottom half of the league and just like turns it on in the in the playoff bracket and then they get awarded with a potential championship or a second second place in the league and it just feels super undeserved under undeserving from a from a playoff narrative perspective I feel like we missed out on so many cool matchups partially because of how you mentioned like the bracket should have been receded in in six success, in successive mm-hmm. rounds mm-hmm. particularly but even without that like we didn't get we never got an Atlas Archer's rematch which I think w- would have been an electric second round game
4: mm-hmm.
3: and also we never got uh, the playoff meeting between the Atlas and the Waterdogs, which was a one goal game for first mm-hmm. place going into the playoffs. Like there were so many rematches that could have happened. And, and the Archers and the Atlas Waterdogs could have been in the championship, which would have been incredible.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So I just feel like we're missing on so many other really cool storylines. And now I feel like one, we're now in the second year straight of the same championship game. Uh, a team with a losing regular season record is in the championship game again and could win. Or the alternative is we are, we're sitting here talking about a league weekly that the entire community talks about how much parity the league has, because, you know, basically it's whoever's going to win is 50, 50 every week, but then we have the same champion every, every year. Mm-hmm. Like what's, what's the attractive narrative about, like, how are we going to attract people to this league based on this championship?
2: Yeah. Now I'm, I'm going to agree with you that this was the least, my least favorite, uh, you know, potential matchup in the championship. Um, I definitely didn't want to see another Whip Snakes chaos. I didn't think the last year's game was that particularly that great. Um, but I'm going to play devil's advocate because I do, I, I love that you brought up about the reseeding. I, I really wish that they did reseed, um, you know, after the first round, because I would have loved to see, I think it should have been water dogs playing the lower seed, playing chaos and then Atlas Whipsnakes. Um, those would have been, you know, personally more fun matchups. However, had that happened, we still could have gotten a Whip Snakes Chaos matchup, you know, out of that. So I'll play devil as advocate there. Like I'm not too torn up about because we still got a result that would have happened even if it receded. You know, again, we could have gotten Water Dogs Whip Snakes in the championship. We could have gotten Water Dogs Atlas. Like you know, it could have been a different combination. But you know, I don't get too hung up on that. Um, so. I got to give credit to the Chaos, though, too, for what they've been able to accomplish. And the reason that I'm not too torn up about them going on a run this year, I didn't like it last year. They went 0-4 in the bubble. I feel like they should have just had, you know, I feel like they should have made group play mean more and had one team not make the playoffs. This year, it didn't bother me as much because we get an extra round. Like, you know, the MLL used to have six teams. Even when they had more teams, it always just four teams to make the playoffs. And, you know, it was hard, you know, it did add a little bit more weight to the regular season, which I like. But then you had some teams at home and, you know, some meaningless games towards the end of the season. We didn't have any meaningless games really towards the end of the season at all. So I like having seven make it. Like originally I was like, Oh, just have six make it, you know, two teams get a buy. I kind of like one team gets a buy. You have, you know, three playoff matchups in the quarterfinals. So I actually like how they're doing it, but I do wish they would recede. Um, but I'm going to give a lot of credit to the chaos. You know, they beat the teams that they needed to get there. Archers were favorite to win the championship. They beat them. Alice for to win the championship, they beat them two teams that they, you know, have both lost to earlier in the season. Obviously the chaos had a lot of success against the archers in their history, but you know, they lost to them earlier in the season. Um, and then they ended up beating them most recently. And then again, so, you know, have a lot of history there, but overall, they beat the team that they needed to do. They've mixed up their game plan. Cause I'm still to this day, not too high on this defense, but this defense has come out and performed. Um, and then obviously I, I have been high on blaze Reardon and he continues to perform at a high, high level. So you know, got to give coach towers and them credit playing devil's advocate. Since I've been doing that, we saw in the MLL first three years, lizards play the Bayhawks three times in a row. So even though we had alternating champions, there was even less differentiation in the MLL originally. So, you know, play devil's advocate again. I don't think I would have loved to see a different team than the Whip Snakes in the championship. I don't think if they, if they win three in a row, I think, you know, it's not a great look for the league. But I don't think it's that bad either. I just think it shows they, hey, they're a dynasty. You know, I think when we look back on it, um, you know, when we do have more variety in the championship, we're going to say, okay, Whipsnakes are really that good. It wasn't just the fact that there was fewer teams. Um, they really were that good. So um, at the end of the day, yeah, I would have loved to see a different matchup than the one we're getting. But I think this one's going to be better. I, I think, you know, last year, I think the Chaos were a little bit outmatched and they played really three great quarters. They game plan well. And then the Whip Snakes kind of turned it on. This game, I think is going to be a dogfight. I think both teams are playing similar style where they're just, they're scrappy. They're winning ground ball battles. They're opportunistic. I mean, that's the chaos is bread and butter, but the Whipsnakes have been playing that way a lot recently too. I think these defenses are playing at an elite level. And I think Brian Phipps are going to hear from relatively soon is playing really, really well. And obviously you have the other, on the other side, Blaze Reardon is arguably the best goaltender in the world, but any thoughts on this championship matchup? I know we're both not a fan of the actual matchup itself, but Thoughts on it, you know, you think it's gonna be close or do you think the whip snakes are, are favored for a reason?
3: I think particularly it's gonna be better than last year because the game's not at like 10 30 in the morning mm-hmm. or whatever early start time they had, it's at least at noon. So it's not too it's not completely different from like the rest of the season's game times. And mm-hmm. I think that's gonna benefit because we can all remember how sloppy the beginning of the 2020 championship was. It was a really weird thing to watch. But I do think that the chaos are gonna go out, particularly hungry because. They kind of got crushed in the fourth quarter last year. And I think that's going to make for a much more exciting game. But if you're, if you're a betting person, I'm, I'm probably going to take the plus spread. <laughs> I'm just probably going to blindly take the plus spread because that's been working out for everybody. So,
2: yeah, no, underdogs have obviously done really, really well. And that trend kind of continues um going into the you know this weekend but yeah i, I agree you know i think it's gonna be a better game i think the whip snakes you know i don't want to say they're down this year but i don't think they're as dominant as the past two seasons they're playing at a high level but this is a game the chaos can come in and win and i think the Chaos can use a similar game plan that they did against the atlas against this whip snakes team now again you know you're gonna to have to have jack rollick get really physical with zed williams um you're gonna need johnny surdick or Jared Newman, whoever's on Matt Rambo, to play really, really well. And that's where I still think I give the edge to the Whip Snakes here. But, you know, you're going to have two different styles coming at each other. But at the end of the day, like, I think what got these two teams here is not their particular style of play. It's what they've done, you know, between the numbers and in the ground balls. It's the hustle plays that have gotten these teams there. You know, I think that's where you see good teams um, excel in the playoffs is it's not always, you know, necessarily executing your game plan it's how you adapt when your game plan's not working i think that's what the chaos have done really really well obviously they executed their defensive game plan to perfection but i don't think you know their offense has really settled into a point where like they're firing on all cylinders but it doesn't matter when you're making hustle plays and you have chase fraser make a ridiculous goal after you know getting stuffed on the doorstep like it, it doesn't matter when you have you know dane smith invert from behind you know, in scoring goals or, or Josh Byrne, you know, catching it on the run and scoring or getting a ground ball and score like, you know, execution doesn't matter. And I think that's where the chaos like they play play well in the playoffs because they can score in transition. Um, you know, they can play a different style and kind of adapt to their opponent. And I think that's what you know, give a lot of credit to Coach Towers and their coaching staff, you know, Coach Curtis and stuff for what they've been able to do um, you know, going into this, uh, this playoff run. And, um, so I, I give them a a very solid chance. I think it's going to be a very close game. And, um, as much as I didn't want this matchup, I'm very looking forward to it. And I think it's going to be a great matchup. Um, and I think it's gonna be 10 times better than what we saw last year. So certainly looking forward to it, but as I alluded to, we have an interview with Brian Phipps. Let's toss to him and hear what he had to say heading into DC.
1: Welcome back to pro lacrosse talk on the lacrosse playground podcast network. Today on Pro Lacrosse Talk, we are
2: lucky to have Brian Phipps join the show. Brian is coming off an absolutely dominant performance, making 13 saves between the pipes for the Whips, helping them advance to the PLL championship. Before making the move to the PLL, Brian also spent 10 seasons in Major League Lacrosse with the Ohio Machine and Chesapeake Bayhawks, winning a championship in 2010 as a member of the practice squad and as a starter in 2019. He is also currently the head coach of Archbishop Spalding High School. Brian, thanks for joining us today. Happy to have you.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited.
2: No, absolutely. You know, we've been itching to have you on the podcast, I think for a while, going back to the Bayhawks days. And sometimes it's just depends on the timing. And I think the timings worked out perfectly for this, but let's dive right into this past weekend in Philly. Uh, you got your first start in the PLL. Um, what was going through your head when you heard you were getting the starting nod?
0: Um, kind of talked about it with, with coach. And, and honestly, Kyle called me and said, you know, that he thinks I should start. I think he thinks that the team's rallying around me. So Kyle, and I have a great relationship. Um, that's kind of why I think I was brought on originally uh, with Coach Staggs to kind of develop that relationship with Kyle and I. And uh, luckily we support each other. And when it was my name was called, I was excited. I was ready to go. Um, but most importantly, the, the teammates texted me, you know, that they supported me. So I knew that I was going to be kind of have to have their trust and have their faith run into it.
2: You know, and going off of that too, you. Um, were actually originally picked up by the Redwoods and then released and then picked up by the Whips. You ended up beating the Redwoods in that quarterfinal mashup to get where you were at. Um, talk a, lot, a little bit about that coming full circle and kind of the highs and lows of the season, you know, getting picked up, competing at camp, and then getting dropped and eventually landing on the Whips. Yeah,
0: I mean, I, kind of the whole, you know, PLL-MLL merger, I I talked to a few coaches and they said that they'd be potentially picking me up in the draft, and obviously I went on, on – to get picked up. Um, and then the Redwoods scooped me up and I was excited to, for the opportunity there. Um, obviously the talented team a great group of guys. Uh, I know several of them from from playing in the MOL fire. Um, and then with training camp came out and Jack and, and Timmy were playing really well. Um, so Coach Nat decided to go that route. And then I was kind of just sitting waiting and seeing what would happen. And then you know some teams said that they're going to pick me up and then uh, luckily, the the whip snakes are the one that actually got the, the waiver claim in um, to, to get me. So um, it's kind of been a whirlwind. Obviously, selfishly, when I knew that PLO and MLO were merging, I wanted to be a whip snake. Obviously, I was a big fan of them and watching them the past two years and rooting for them from fellow teammates and and friends. So um, it's nice to to be on that team and and wear that jersey.
6: That's awesome. And you mentioned kind of getting that connection with the Whips. I was calling them like the Terp Snakes or it just the, the connection there, right? Um, talk about kind of playing with some of your former teammates and friends, you know, John Haas, Jake Bernhardt and a bunch of Maryland guys. What, what's that been like for you this
0: season? Yeah, it's it's awesome. I mean, I think it's just the the camaraderie, the, the, the locker room, the feel, you know, just stepping on the campus or start stepping on practice. Um, when I was in Long Island for that first weekend, you know, I, yeah. I was about to say something at practice and I was like, I don't want to be that guy. And, and Earhart was like, what do you mean? You're a veteran. You're, you're a leader of our, us already. So it, it was cool to, to have that, have that connection. Um, whether I, I played with them or coached them at Maryland or recruited them at Maryland. So it's, it's just fun to have that, that whole thing and that lingo and terminology and just the way we are as, as Maryland guys, you know, it's, it's great to be around.
2: Yeah. And talk a little bit about that, like Maryland bond, um, you know, just, kind of how it kind of continues throughout. mean we talked to Matt Rambo last week and it's just kind of like a brotherhood. He mentioned, um, just beyond, you know, your four years there. So talk a little bit about, you know, your time at Maryland, as well as, um, just continuing, you know, the relationships with all your fellow alumni.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, you just look at, you're just fortunate. When you go to college park, you kind of get, you know, surrounded by and and morphed into this, this crew of great guys that you're around all the same kind of goals and, and, uh, you know, aspirations, and it's same same thing. And, you know, everyone just kind of is the same mold and character, and it's just fun being around it. And you can go – the lineage goes on. I mean, I had, you know, Brian Farrell, Dean Hart, Pat Hutchinson, you know, in my wedding that I'm still friends with, and I talk to Ryan Moran and Brian Reese pretty much every day that are former Maryland guys as well, so the, in the lacrosse world. So, you know, it's great that a lot of the Maryland guys are still in the lacrosse world, so everyone's still connected and has that, has those similarities and, and commonalities. So it's great to see that. And we all have, you know, a good time with each other also. So I think that's, that's a commonality as well.
2: You know, and going off of the Maryland connection, your dad was also a member of the 1975 Maryland team that won the NCAA championship. That was their first, or that was their last title before Maryland won in 2017. Talk about following in your father's footsteps and what it's like, you know, again, suiting up for the Terps and uh, kind of continuing your father's legacy. Yeah.
0: I mean, obviously my dad and I are really close. Um, He's been my mentor, my my first coach. Um, he actually coached with me at, at Spalding my first couple years when I was a head coach. Um, so He's kind of my best friend, my, my mentor, and just being able to share that bond with him in the Maryland legacy and, and playing with my brother at Maryland was awesome. Um, I, my grandfather actually played at Maryland, too, so that Turp that, uh, legacy runs within us, and I was very fortunate to meet my wife there, who coaches across at Maryland now, so Caitlin is still in College Park and, and keeps me and has that connection there as well, so I get to go back to campus every now and then and see it change and all the new additions there which is really
6: cool yeah she's been doing all right with the women's squad over the last few years huh
0: yeah not too shabby that's why i got to get a couple of these championships to catch up to her <laughs> yeah right
6: that's awesome well you mentioned you know the the connection you have with kyle and cage another terp let's kind of go back to 2019 you know another time where you're with another maryland goalie and nico amato right uh and and you got in cage in 2019 and helped the Bayhawks win uh, that championship, your first as a starter. Talk about uh, your time in the MLL and and that championship with the Bayhawks.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, we have a a lot of Maryland guys on that Bayhawks connection too. And and Brendan Kelly was a huge supporter and and a huge friend of mine that, that did a lot for the game of lacrosse. And I was very loyal and appreciative of what he did for the Bayhawks and the MLL. So I was fortunate to stick around and, and play with them for a couple of years. And, you know, it's one of the best organizations in pro lacrosse that, that's been around. And um, obviously that you see that with the, the uh, championships that, that BK has won and, and has put forth on that, you know, the best product and the best lacrosse venue, I think, um, in the area. So it was very fortunate to, to play with them and stick it out and. And play against some great you know it's kind of i was reminiscing this past weekend because we played against dylan ward zach courier mm-hmm. um so like matt bockler was a the coach there so a lot of the, the, the denver outlaws bayhawks connections were this weekend as well with myself manis abbott kind of going against dylan slosher courier and, and bockler again so still have some players in that 2019 championship in the mll but you know, now that everybody's under one roof and one league, you know, it's it's the cream of the crop and the, the talent here is is super impressive and it's just fun being a part of it now too.
6: Yeah, it was awesome how kind of connected you guys were with the Annapolis community, how coming out for the games. And I actually was, was able to cover the the championship celebration down in Annapolis with you guys in twenty nineteen. So BK
2: definitely put it on for you guys for sure. Yeah, he definitely knows how to party, so it's a good time. <laughs> Awesome, and then going off of that, you know, you mentioned that win against the top-seeded Water Dogs. Um, talk a little bit about you know dethroning them as the top seed and helping this Whip team get back to championship, the championship. Um, and then, what are you looking forward to? I guess most going into DC.
0: Yeah, I think our coaching staff put together a great game plan, um, and I think a lot of that was our offensive middies getting back in the hole and stopping their transition and and not giving up a, a single goal in transition, which was our. Uh, our main goal, and I think that's why we limited them to 10 goals. and you know, They're averaging, you know, high numbers because of the transition stuff. So I give credit to a lot of our offensive middies that, that got back in the hole and that were able to stop it and, and be, you know, unselfish and, and do what we got to do to be to be successful. So I think that's what started it for us. And then kind of when you have Matt Rambo and Zed Williams that can just score at will and four on six when Zed scored that one, you're like, well, I'll take it for that when he split that swim, that double team, you're like, wow, that was impressive and just kind of catches your breath. So I'm happy he's on our team and, and he can pull those those moments out to help us be successful and, and hopefully he can do that again in D.C. But kind of being being in D.C. And, and being local here, it's nice. You know, I'm already getting text messages and, and calls about coming out for the game and so forth. So um, it's really cool. Obviously, I think Maryland's the hotbed and the best place of lacrosse talent. I'm biased, obviously. So it's nice to be be in this area um, and put on a good show
6: yeah and and kind of talk about the matchup uh, against this chaos squad it's a rematch of last year's championship but a lot of different pieces right and you weren't even on the the whips when they played week one so talk about kind of uh, going against this really strong on the offensive side in particular uh, chaos squad
0: yeah I mean I hate saying this but they're fun to watch so it's like we'll see on that now on Sunday but I'm um, already watching film and breaking it down to kind of see their tendencies and see what they like to do and how we can kind of come up with a plan. But, you know, they're super unselfish. They share the ball and you can see that kind of same camaraderie that they have off the field and, and in the locker room is something that we kind of have as well for the whips. So it's nice. You kind of see that, you know, the off the field tendencies lead to success on the field. Um, but again, they're going to be tough to to battle against and, and tip your hat to Blaze Reardon, who's who's the best goal in the world right now and playing at that high level. So, um, hopefully, Rambo and Rambo and Blaze have that little relationship and friendship that Rambo can get the extra edge, edge again.
2: <laughs> no, yeah, we love it. And you know, mentioning the DMV, your brother Mike coaches at Georgetown. Um, you coach yourself at Archbishop Spalding. Talk a little bit about you know the coaching ties and and becoming a coach. You know, you played with your brother Mike, and now you both are coaches. So, uh, how did you get into coaching, and what's it been like? You know, coaching Archbishop Spalding. Yeah, I
0: mean, I think the obviously grew up with lacrosse and. I never knew how long I'd be fortunate enough to play. Um, I think I've played a lot longer than I expected, but um, the coaching aspect's really fun um, being able to kind of work with the youth and, and the kids in high school. But um, right when I graduated college, Coach Tillman asked me to stick around and, and help out at Maryland. So um, I kind of went right into playing across in college to coaching across in college. And that's kind of how I still have that relationship with, with a lot of the whips that I played there. And then went to Georgetown with, with Coach Kevin Warren, who's one of the smartest defensive coaches and I think that's helped me become a coach but also a better goalie in terms of directing traffic and communicating throughout there on the field so um, I think the coaching aspect has made me a better player for sure and then my time here at Spalding has been unbelievable I think we have guys that that are committed to being the best student athletes that they can be and and doing the extra work and I saw that success this past year I think our 2020 class was was pretty impressive and we had a good year but our 21 class this year had some pretty impressive seniors to to put us on the map and hopefully our 22 class can can keep us there next year
6: yeah you guys had an awesome run you went up against your, your buddy Brian Farrell in, in that championship game uh talk about that run you know it was a phenomenal year for, for you guys to to make it to the championship
0: yeah it's definitely a little bittersweet um losing the Farrell obviously he's my my best friend in my what we were in each other's weddings we talk every day and so forth so it was kind of unique we would help each other in terms of game plans throughout when we play other teams and then it was like oh but uh what, what are we gonna do and perhaps to him I think you know he, he coached a hell of a game and so I was, I was happy for him obviously it's was, it was really bitter for, for our guys but looking over and seeing him celebrate with his wife and new baby daughters which was really cool um, and again that's the game of lacrosse and that's why it's so great and we have each other in the Terps and kind of have those bonds but uh, coaching lacrosse is awesome uh, it's great to have that still in my life and being able to do that.
2: No, absolutely. We're going to move on now to our five and five. So some more quick hitters, um, you know, a little bit more fun questions, I guess you could say. And I'll start with the first one is, what are some pregame routines you have? As a goalie, I know there's got to be some.
0: Yeah, it's, it's gone through waves. I mean, when I was in college, I would, eat, I would have to eat a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup and a Blue Gatorade before every game. Um, so that, that kind of stopped in, in the pros and kind of, kind of got away from that, but it's changed every time. But I, I tap my toes three times before I get in the cage and before I get into the crease, um, kind of reset myself. And uh, it's our, my little thing now and, and whatnot. So and that's pretty simple, but that's what I just, I was very all over the place. And now that's the only thing I do right now. I just tap my toes three times before I get in the crease.
2: It's funny. Um, number two, what has been your favorite venue to play lacrosse at?
0: Uh, Navy Marine Corps stadium, besides bird stadium, um, and the lineage that my family has there and playing with Maryland, but Navy Marine Corps stadium, um, uh, for what it stands for and seeing the, um, the battles that, that are around the, the stadium and, and, knowing what all sacrifice for that and, and being in Annapolis, my hometown. Um, I live a mile away. So when I was in the Bayhawks I could walk to the games, et cetera, and soak it all in. So, so um, I think that was, that's an awesome venue. And the people are, uh, the people on the Audi, uh, Sorry, the Subaru Park this past weekend at Philadelphia was awesome. I think it's just a great-sized venue, and it looked awesome on the field, and, you know, it was a very really cool experience.
2: Yeah, no, I think that is a really cool venue, um, and I think the PLL has been doing a good job of going to a lot of different venues. I hope they go to the Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium at some yeah. point. Um, obviously, My dad actually went to Navy, so I have some fond memories of going there as well. Yeah. Given the Bayhawks connection, it would be cool. I mean, think it's great. great, great parking, great – you know, restaurants downtown, just all the whole setup, the whole nine's great. Yeah, they'll have to add it to the touring schedule next year <laughs> for sure. Uh, number four, who's been your funniest teammate during your career, and that can be college or pros? Uh,
0: Brian Farrell, uh, just kind of big. I mean, I, he, he's going to see this, but big, dumb, animal, it's fun, loving, it. and uh, you know goofy kind of. But still, is my best friend on whenever I need him. So he's been great to play with. Um, having Nick Maness with us again uh it's great to have um because of our family history my parents are like best friends our best friends with his parents and our dads played together at maryland and now they live together they live next to each other in annapolis so uh that's cool but yeah brian Farrell is probably the funniest one to be around
2: and then my next question is what is your current stick setup in terms of head shaft and string uh
0: i use a the warrior nemesis 3 and i use a peak pro shaft um that are just coming out with that morocco and cork use yeah. which is a nice uh it's it's an awesome shaft in terms of grip wise i use lizard skin to hold um on my on my tape so it's a little grip grip that and then uh obviously lars and and sidewalk jet sidewalk jet is the one that strings it up for us so he, that he works the wonders because obviously i'm pretty high maintenance with my big pocket um that i need so uh He's he's helped it out.
6: Yeah, have you always have you always played with such a bag?
0: Yeah. So I, I, even going back to high school I would string my sticks and then I actually strung Kyle's in college. Uh, and now Kyle obviously strings his owner or gets you know, Lars help out now. But um, yeah, I was pretty big on the pocket. I think it just helps with rebound control and whatnot. Yeah, I can dip it back extra deep to throw it, but it works apparently. Yeah, yeah, my no, my so. uh,
6: Hutton's uncle and my father-in-law used to uh, when you were at Severn, actually reffed you guys, and he said you guys had the the prettiest outlet passes. You still, honestly, yeah, you crush it with that. <laughs>
0: I'm, uh, I'm bummed I haven't gotten any, any recent ones, but having yeah. to feel the the midline to the to the cage that is a little bit shorter, so you yeah. can't get up an ounce that I would throw to Brian Farrell over time. So, you know, hopefully Earhart can get some of this next weekend. But there we go.
2: Absolutely. And then my final one is, if they made a PLL video game, who do you say deserves to be on the cover?
0: Uh, I mean, playing with Lyles the past couple of years for the Bayhawks is is pretty special and pretty impressive. Um, What he does for the game and how he speaks about it and the character that he has and the joy he he plays is is probably my no-brainer for for that. Um, So he's definitely a, a joy to watch, and I think he's just great for the sport.
2: Yeah, no, that's a very common answer, answer, and I think it's a fitting answer. Um, Hopefully, they make a PL of it again someday. We're we're hoping.
6: (laughs) Uh, And I'll take the off the field question. So it's still sport related. Number one, Uh, favorite athlete currently to watch. uh, That's not a lacrosse player.
0: Uh, Obviously, you guys know that my love for Ryan Fitzpatrick. So (laughs) uh, I just I just love everything that he's done in the Fitzpatrick stuff. Uh, I'm not a Washington football fan, but. Um, I am a Brian Fitzpatrick fan right now. So, and the Fitz magic, Fitz magic thing is, is hysterical and I absolutely love it. So, uh, he, he's definitely, he's up there, but you know, I got big into the NBA the past two years for the, for the lock when COVID shut down and that was on. So i love watching that and, and watching Giannis play. It was pretty cool.
2: Yeah, for sure. We need, uh, we need Fitz magic shirts. We need the PLL to do it. <laughs> <laughs> We got it, We got it. We got to call up RJ or something to
6: get him. to do it. <laughs> and, if you, and if you guys uh, win on Sunday, we got to get you guys. Even though you're not a uh, football Washington football fan, you got to go to uh, like a uh, halftime game uh, for Washington since there's so many DMV guys on the squad to yeah, for get sure. a photo or, sh- or something. Uh,
0: Definitely got some Ravens, Ravens fans on the team too. Though, so that's kind of what we'll do. Cool but
6: there we go uh all right number two favorite hobbies when you're not on the field you're on the field a lot obviously uh but favorite hobby when you're when you're not playing
5: uh
0: i love eating <laughs> that's fair uh i've gotten into cooking and grilling out steaks a lot lately uh, this yeah. time.
6: um so i love eating and drinking to be honest with you so those are, those are my favorites they're, they're, they're a good combo so you meant you mentioned steak i, I have to ask we asked your, your teammate Rambo favorite cheesesteak last week, since you're an Annapolis guy, best spot to grab crab cakes in, in the DMV. Uh,
0: hands down, Dock Street Bar and Grill down in Annapolis. Uh, hands down, best, best crab cakes you got. Hit up Mo for, for it. I mean, they're, they're phenomenal. I recommend it to everybody. It's still a hole in the wall, dive bar, but you walk in, you're like, this is the right spot. And then
6: you get the crab cakes and you're like, hell yeah. <laughs> cool. That's awesome. I love it. Got to hit that up soon. Uh, at number four, we know, uh, you mentioned uh, coach Farrell and his new little one you're also a new proud papa always curious any biggest surprise uh, since becoming a dad anything that's really surprised you
0: it's been awesome let's be uh, I'll be honest with you it's yeah. something that I you know everyone talks about and being really cool and it actually it's hit you hard and she was actually able to come to my game this past weekend awesome. um, and she be in a stand so that was something that was pretty emotional to start the game to be honest with you. and afterwards a couple of tears when when I saw her and my wife and and being able to hug her but uh I mean, besides the surprise and the diapers, but uh, uh, I'm, they, we go through a lot, that's for sure. But uh, it's just kind of a do-whatever-it-takes kind of mentality. I think that's what sports yeah. is good for. Like you, you wake up 3 o'clock in the morning, got to change diaper feeder, like no big deal, like yeah. you, you go with it. So uh, the biggest surprise is probably the what's, what's going to be in the diaper when you open it.
6: There we go. <laughs> good answer, good answer. Uh, and then my last off-the-field question, um, you know, what what, uh, what are you watching, reading at 3 a.m. When, when you have to feed her? The
0: nerd that I am is film on score break. So, yeah. I'll look at the iPad. I watched every single Water Dogs game, uh, broke down every shot. So, I'm two games in for the chaos now, so I get to work a little bit more on that. But, um, yeah, the lacrosse nerd that I am is just film, film, film. So, um, and score break does a great job of that for us, and, and Coach Murphy and, and Stags giving us the game plan. So, um but yeah so but if we don't if it's not that i'll be honest you. i'm big below deck fan i'm bravo and that (laughs) aspect of it so uh it's my wife's show so i guess i got influence in it with her but i'm definitely a fan of watching them
2: awesome so uh, your recommendation is either below deck or watching more
0: lacrosse (laughs) (laughs) actually food network is is the one like chop beat bobby flay uh or actually impractical jokers is always on oh that's a classic so (laughs) you can turn that on any time of the day on tbs and you'll be you'll be good
2: yeah the only problem with them i feel like now is that that people are starting to recognize them more yeah
0: i was wondering how the whole covid protocol will be with them like being able to do their shenanigans and whatnot (laughs) so it'll be interesting to see how they keep it going but they're they're hysterical that's what we watched we got we were delayed in uh in Albany, in the locker room. Uh, we had impractical jokers on in the locker room, so that was good.
2: That's funny. Uh, and then my final – that wraps up the five and five, but my final question I like to always end on is, what are some advice you have for a young player looking to one day play lacrosse professionally?
0: Uh, definitely. I mean, now we're – like, in the past, you know, 12 years that I've been playing in the professional, it's kind of nice to see where it's come and where it's going, and, shoot, like, we'll be on NBC sport. I mean, I'll be on NBC – like the original mvc playing uh in the championship game, so it's just cool to see that and and showing that the young kids that there's an aspiration and there's a you know a dream and it's actually realistic that you can be a pro lacrosse player and and actually doing that full time and you know so so don't be discouraged. Obviously, the, the most advice I give a goalie is like the most important shot is the next one. So. You know, you could have nine saves, but if you give up the next goal, you could lose by one. You could have one, you could have two saves and you win the game. Like, it's all, it's just the most important one is the next one. And that's kind of the mentality that I have for, for our guys and, and kind of the, the mentality of, you know, so what, next play mentality. And, and that's kind of what I tell our kids. if You mess up, so what, go make the next play. As a goalie, you let one in, so what, you got to get the next one.
2: No, I think that's some great advice. Uh, well, we certainly appreciate you hopping on, Brian. Best of luck with the whips coming up in DC and we look forward to seeing you play.
0: No, no problem. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Appreciate what you guys do. It's awesome to watch.
2: All right. So welcome back. We appreciate Brian Phipps coming on the podcast. Uh, you know, definitely looking to see forward to seeing him in this championship. Um, I'm personally going with the whips in this one. I just think, you know, again, overall they're the better team. Wouldn't surprise me if the chaos come out though, especially given the history. Of the past four rematches in pro field of history, uh, you know, obviously we have seen um, instances where the team that lost the first match of won in the second. But are you going chaos or whip snakes in this one, Brian? I think I'm going
3: to go whip snakes. I did say prior to the interview that I that I would take the plus spread if I was a betting man, and I am. But <laughs> I, I think I, I think the whips have the advantage in the matchup for a lot of reasons that we don't have to go into. But I I don't think. I don't think the Chaos are going to be able to do what they did to like the Atlas, for example. I don't think they're going to be able to creatively gameplay away players mm-hmm. on the Whip Snakes because I think the Whip Snakes just have too many options mm-hmm. in their offensive game plan. We see that from like week to week. Like we see we see Rainbow go to that five and five that I talked about on an episode or two ago. They also have the two man game from X. They just they still have Dodgers from the midfield. Um, so I, I think I think that it's gonna be difficult or at least I just don't see a way off the top of my head to game plan a lot of those options away, like they did with mm-hmm. the Atlas. So it'll be interesting to see what they end up doing, but I'm, but I'll, I'll probably take, I think I'm more confident that the Whip Snakes will take it.
2: Yeah, no. And I, I think too, the Atlas wanted to settle down the offense. They wanted to play their sets. Whereas I think, you know, if the chaos try to get into a transition battle with the Snakes, you know, I think the Whip Snakes are going to be right up there with them. You know, Hart can shoot from range. Um, you know, they have the, the pieces to push and transition as well. Brian Phipps is great at outlet passes, just like Blaze. So I feel like, you know, we could see a high-scoring back-and-forth transition battle uh, ensue. Um, So if the Chaos try to play that style, I think it will behoove them to. Um, I just think the the Whips could could match them in that as well. So I'm going Whips, personally. But in addition to the championship, we're going to hear PLO awards. So we'll be putting out an article pretty shortly of all the LPG staff picks for the awards. But let's go into our own picks, Brian, for the awards. We'll start off with the Rookie of the Year uh who's your pick for rookie of the year
3: I'm gonna give it to TD and the reason I give it to TD is yeah he's tied with Baptiste for face-off percentage I'm not sure if that's still true after the cast but I'm sure it's at least close uh but I think that a lot of the Redwoods success throughout the year has to do a lot with him particularly because I think the Redwoods defense underperformed this year relative to the previous two years and uh, I put out an article a while ago that explained that like face-offs you know, uh, clearly gets you possessions so they help you score, and the numbers support that natural, mm-hmm. intuitive line of thinking. And clearly when you're losing face-offs, the other team's getting possessions and they can score. So if if you don't have a face-off guy uh, like the Redwoods struggled with in 2020 and a lesser degree in the 2020 or 2019 regular season, if they're losing those face-offs and their defense is performing poorly, they're going to lose games, Right. So the mm-hmm. fact that uh, TD could go in and monopolize faceoffs helped alleviate some of the pressure from the defense that wasn't in as peak form as they as we're used to seeing them. So
2: mm-hmm. I think
3: I think he deserves a lot of credit for that.
2: No, I agree. He was definitely close on my list. I'm going with T just because of the production he's had, and you know he already looks like a consummate pro in this league. He, he did not miss a beat coming into this league. Um, you know, playing despite playing two fewer games than most of his teammates as well. Um, so he's my pick for rookie of the year. Um, but I definitely understand the case for TD as well. Um, and moving on to attackman of the year, Tete's also my attackman of the year. I think it's hard to pick anybody else. Uh, just given, you know, Lyle had a great year, RP3 had a great year, Eamon had a great year, Zed obviously is still having a great year. But at the end of the day, I just think T overall was, you know, helped this offense reach its potential and move to higher heights whereas all the other players obviously have their strong role on their team. You know, Lyle probably does it better than anybody else in just being able to take over games. But at the end of the day, I think Tete is my Attackman of the Year. Who's
3: your Attackman of the Year? Mine's also Tete but that's boring. My runner-up would, would be uh, Penel, though. I, mm-hmm. think, I think his addition to the Redwoods offense makes them – it gives them like a dual threat, one from X, one from the top with whatever midfielder you choose from them. And I think that's just made their offense much more versatile than we've seen in the past. So I think uh, when, when I first heard that trade, I was like, I don't really get it for the, even for the Redwoods. I know that they're getting Rob Pinnell, but like, I didn't really understand at the time, but then watching them this year, I thought that it's even more of a steal of a trade now. So.
2: Mm-hmm. No, and I think they're on the team that was the most disappointing first round exit for me even though you know the archers i i, I could make the case of the archers too because i had them as my champion but i just think the redwoods you know getting to the championship in year 1 and then just you know not being able to get past the whip snakes you know, since then, it's been tough to, to watch. Even as a guy that's not really a Redwoods fan, it's just been tough, tough for me to, to watch for Redwoods fans. So, um, yeah, I definitely agree the case there for RP3. But, yeah, we both agree that I think T should win Attackman of the Year. Moving on to MIDI of the Year, we might, I think, agree maybe on this one as well. I'm going Brian Costabile. Um, I just, you know, think that what he's been able to accomplish, both, you know, as a two-way midfielder, he just does, deserves a lot of credit. You know, you could look at, you know, all these guys, Miles Jones, Zach Courier, Tom Schreiber, Paul Rabel, and make the case for them. Uh, Particularly Zach Courier, who does a lot of similar stuff as Costabile, I think, even more so, you know, on the wing play. But for me, I'm going Brian Costabile, midfielder of the year. He didn't win an award last year because there was no rookie of the year, but he would have probably been my rookie of the year last year as well. Um, But who do you have as many of the year?
3: I have Miles Jones. Okay. you I just – can't make up enough enough of an argument for the guy, and I already said Picasso feels like my favorite player to watch in, in the PLL. I almost said the NFL. It's really football season. So, <laughs> uh, you just can't. There's only been a couple of games where a team has really shut him down, like one or two, and he's shown that he can just be a dominant player anywhere. He he he's shown that he inverted for no reason. I don't think we've ever seen him do that before in the PLL. Um, and he just has so many three-plus-point games. It's been such a uh, – and we know he's been a dominant player, but it's still such a standout performance that I think you really have to give him more credit than he's getting. Like, there was a certain point of the season, and I don't think, I don't think it's there anymore because I think Blaze kind of crept his way back into the MVP talk. But Miles should have been in that initial list of, like, MVP candidates, in my opinion. So I, I got to give the midfielder, midfielder slot to him.
2: You know, I'm actually, you know, was surprised that he was not in the running for MVP. Um, Just his his ability to, I don't want to say reinvent, but like be a chameleon, you know, in whatever the Redwoods need. Like last year, he was a two-point threat. This year, he was more of a, you know, a feeder. Like obviously he was scoring off the dodge as well. But, um, you know, he's really reinvented his game to the point where like teams were expecting him to shoot the two-bomb this year. And he was able to use that and hitch and then score, you know, goals on the run or on the flip side, you know, being a facilitator and, you know, having so many assists as well. um, You know, overall, I I think he had a phenomenal season. And again, it goes back to the Redwoods kind of, you know, they have all the pieces. I don't know what much more you do in the off season um, to kind of change, change it up. I I think, you know, they kind of got to ride with what they have and I think they'll come back stronger for it. But uh, yeah, I mean, you just look at miles's production. He had only one two point goal this year, 13, one point goals and 17 assists. So we're not really used to seeing him having more assists than goals. Um, and I think that's credit to him and how he's been able to um, do so much for this offense. Moving on to the defender of the year. Who do you like for this? This is this is a tough one because there's a lot of different types of defenders in this league. Nominees are Liam Burns, Matt Dunn, Garrett Eppel, Graham Hasek, and Jack Rowlett. But who's your pick, Brian? Uh, I,
3: I'm going to couple this with the LSM pick just and you'll see why in a second. So I'm going to go with Burns and I'm going to go with Reese for the LSM. And the reason is one, well, for Reese, he is like almost the exact same stat line as Earhart, which I think is mind boggling because we expect huge numbers from Earhart, right? So mm-hmm. the fact that Reese is like right there with him, I think one is a great example of how the Waterdogs defense has improved over time as they've kind of fell into their game plan. Um, and I think I think Burns has just been a really dominant player on the field. And I think that some of these players on this water dogs unit needs to win one of these awards for how improved they've been and how dominant they've been later in the season, even though they just lost the game. But, you know, I, I made this pick before they lost to the web snakes to be fair.
2: Yeah. I, I was actually really leaning towards Burns. I'm actually going Graham Hosek. Um, You know, it's a toss up for me, you know, Liam Burns has won the defender of the year award a couple times in the MLL. And he, I think deserves, you know, if he wins the award, I think he deserves it. He leads in calls turnovers with 20. I just think what Hasek was able to do coming in to this archers defense, that was already decent, but looking to get bigger and stronger. Um, and just given what they've done as a team defense in limiting, you know, opposing offenses um, I give him a lot of credit for that. So he's my pick. Um, again, it's a toss up, but I'm given the three time NLL defender of the year. Uh, the his first time PLL Defender of the Year award, in my opinion, and that's why I'm going Hosek. um, And going LSM, as you mentioned, I also like Reese. I, I think, you know, the wing play has been a huge bright spot for the Waterdogs team in these past two seasons. He has the ability to also score in transition if needed. Um, He's just, you know, do, does it all. And, you know, that's not a disservice to Earhart, who I think is also right up there as well. It's kind of a toss-up for me as well. But I, I think overall... I got to give it to to Reese and what this water dogs team has been able to do on the defensive end, you know, after not such a great start by Dylan Ward in the first couple of games, they really turned it on and were able to to turn this around. Whereas on the flip side, Whipsnakes weren't as productive on the defensive side. They weren't as uh, successful as they have been in the past two years. So that's why I'm going Reese as well. And then moving on, we got the face off. I think we might be in agreement with this one, but uh, who's your face off athlete of the year. I guess I got to go
3: TD because I'm giving him rookie of the year and he's also a faceoff guy, but I, I think you can make the same case for Baptiste, but I think TD made a bigger impact that was a big change and benefited the Redwoods. So same reason I gave him rookie.
2: Yeah, no, and it's a toss up. I mean, I'm going TD as well, but both him and Baptiste, you know, 65% um, from the stripe. Baptiste had a few more ground balls. He had four more ground balls. So very neck and neck in this one, but I'm going to go TD as well. And I didn't give him rookie of the year. So that's why I feel like he's deserving of an award. So I'll give him face-off athlete of the year award. Going on the goalie, probably in agreement mostly here as well, but uh, I'll ask who's your goalie of the year. I mean, it's
3: gotta be Blaze, but if if Blaze gets like the MVP, for example, say they like win the championship and he's like the MVP pick, uh, I would love for this award to go to Colorado because he had to step in, Big shoes to fill. Did more than he was expected to do or asked to
2: do. Even he's not a nominee, though. I know. I'm just saying, okay. like, yeah,
3: gotcha. that's that's who I think is really deserving. Um, because I think Blaze is going to get it. So I think that's a important conversation. Mm-hmm.
2: No, yeah, I think you know, obviously, Russo is not a nominee, but um, you know, what he's been able to accomplish. If he had started at the beginning of the season, he'd probably be in this conversation. Um, and I think the Atlas have a very interesting, you know. Dilemma, good dilemma to have on their hands, having both Jack and Cannon and Colorado. So who do you go with next season? Uh, that'll be a storyline. We'll definitely be following this off season. Moving on to short stick defensive mid of the year. Uh, we have Goodrich, Harris, Logan, and Tara as the nominees. Who's your pick for short stick defensive mid of the year?
3: Danny Logan. And I've said previously that I thought that teams needed to switch up who they were pulling. Uh when they were playing against both the Redwoods and the cannons to see what would happen. Um, we've only seen it like once in the regular season with the, against the Redwoods and the whips finally did it in the playoffs. And then the Atlas did it against the cannons. Also in the first round of the playoffs, Logan like shut down Rabel who's had like a huge rebound here and completely shut down his production to the point where like Rabel's kind of raging at him. but well, we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> uh, and he's just been impressive all year. And kind of kind of sad that we couldn't see dearth all year because he's also been outstanding
2: mm-hmm. but there's plenty
3: of people that we could talk about that are really great but I my pick goes to Logan because of all year
2: yeah I was leaning towards Logan um I'm gonna go Terra Fanko uh it's tough for me to not pick Goodrich too who also led this group in with 12 calls turnovers and I think just because Goodrich played so well that we didn't notice him as much and the cannons obviously didn't have that great of a year but I'm going Tara Fanko just coming in as a rookie I think uh you know, was able to to play lights out. And what he did on the transition side of things as well. I mean, I I think a big game for him was against the Archers team where the Chrome upset the Archers. And um, yeah, just seeing what he's been able to do, consummate, you know, guy, even though he's a short stick defensive mini, you could always argue he's almost kind of like a two-way guy, obviously not mixing it up too much on the offensive side, but has the ability to. So he's my short stick defensive mini of the year, just based on that. Moving on to coach of the year. We just have two nominees, Coach Copeland, Coach Rubio, both went through some massive rebuilding uh, this off season, adding a lot of new additions, and uh, made it to the semis because of it. Um, so, who's your pick for coach of the year?
3: Uh, I pick Rubio because both teams were in kind of similar positions. They were kind of like bottom of the barrel, um, and they kind of had to make moves in the off season after 2020. And I think that Rubio had to take bigger risks than or didn't have to, but ended up taking bigger risks than Copeland did, trading away some of the biggest names in lacrosse history uh, to fill some spots that kind of had people scratching their heads a little bit. And then he made it work better than I think anyone could have expected. So for that reason alone, I think.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. I'm going Coach Ruber as well. I think Coach Copeland did a great job acquiring top talent. Like he got Dylan Ward, he got Ryan Brown, he got Eli Gobrick. Like the ability to get those three guys alone – Um, through trades and then added, you know, Liam Burns and Ben Randall in the draft, like a lot of credit to him for that, but we already knew those guys were going to be good. I think what Coach Rubio did, completely reinventing this team, like you said, trading away a lot of big names and bringing in a lot of rookies that performed at a high level, I give him a lot of credit. And, you know, with Kyle Russo, like they were dealt a pretty poor hand um, having, you know, Jack and Cannon go down with injury and Kyle Russo, a lot of credit to him for stepping it up um, and playing so well. But, you know, for Coach Rubio to kind of handle that, the way he did, I think was a kudos to him as well. So, um, yeah, he's got my vote for coach of the year. Um, the, some few other awards, we have sportsmanship, a humanitarian award and a leadership award, um, as well as teammate of the War- year award. So quite a few awards there. I'm just gonna get my picks. Uh, I have Zed for sportsmanship. I remember last year, you know, this is a little bit different, you know, obviously last year I'm going off of last year, what he said, but I remember, someone was saying to go after a guy with an injury and I didn't really want to do that so that to me like you know shows some sportsmanship there I like Eric Law for humanitarian based on what he does with Denver City Lacks and then teammate Jack Kelly you know coming in relief and um you know being the backup to Troutner despite being a starting caliber goalie at one and actually winning you know goalie of the year in the MLL um you know I give him a lot of credit for being a great teammate and it was nice to see him back on the field and then leadership, you got to go, Kyle Harrison. In my opinion, just what he's done for the sport, um, we're going to sh- definitely miss him on the field. But know his presence will still be very involved for a long time. Um, what are your picks? Any any picks for these uh, these four awards, Brian? I have
3: like all the same picks as you. I think I did. Um, no, I had all the same picks as you. So
2: yeah, so pretty pretty much in agreement. You know, with that, um, you know, all all the nominees though are deserving. It's tough to always choose these awards. Um, and then finally, MVP. Who's your MVP, Brian? Biggest award. Who do you got? Um,
3: I went with Courier because he's the only he's the only person who has a shorter list of reasons why he shouldn't be the MVP than reasons why he should be the MVP. Joe Keegan or somebody put out, or maybe Jake Watts put out a comparison of like each one of his stat lines and compared it to one of the other top players that were a bit more specialized, I guess, or filled a more specific role on their team. It was comparable to like all these in, previously mvp caliber people in previous seasons i just i feel like it's not even an argument at this point
2: yeah no i uh i tend to agree with you and um but at the end of the day for me i go by most valuable player and i think all these players you know we mentioned you know that are nominated Ament, lyle teat courier very valuable teams most valuable is blaze Reardon you know, I don't think the chaos are where they're at. If they don't have blaze reared you know, if they had any, if they had Dylan went with Dylan Ward or whatever, I think they'd still be a solid team. I think a lot of, you know, if they had any other goal in the league, they'd be a solid team. I just don't think they'd be at the level they were at if they uh, didn't have blaze. So he is my MVP just based on that alone, what he's been able to accomplish. And obviously he's proving it, you know, heading into uh, you know, his second championship. Um, And I think they're going to live or die by blaze and, you know, so far they're living by him. So if Chaos is going to win, I think he's going to have another big game. And he's been having, you know, monster game after monster game pretty much all season, all three years of the PLL. So he's got my vote for MVP. But those are our thoughts on the awards. We'll hear what, who actually wins those awards pretty soon. Um, that wraps up another episode. We appreciate Brian Fitz hopping on. Brian, as always, we appreciate you hopping on and joining me to discuss these games. And uh, we look forward to the championship in DC. But that wraps up another episode of Pro Lacrosse Talk. Um, We appreciate you guys tuning in and we hope you tune into our next episode after the DC championship, as we break down who wins the PLL crown.